This podcast was recorded Thursday, February 8th at 10 o'clock a.m. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. Like a member of the world's so-called most deliberative body will use the term bullshit from the podium in the U.S. Senate press room and use it as a headline on their press release. Oh, wait, that happened this week. We'll get to that. Let's talk politics. This is Snollygoster, WOSU Public Media's weekly look at Ohio politics and all those Snollygosters, those shrewd politicians jockeying for the attention of voters or one particular voter with a penchant for wearing red ties. I'm Mike Thompson. Coming up in the podcast, our Snollygoster of the Week is the answer to a multiple-choice question. But first... For the past several years, Congressman Jim Jordan has been the chief bomb thrower from Ohio. Now, J.D. Vance says, Jim, hold my beer. The idea that we committed to supporting whatever came out of this negotiation is pure, unadulterated bullshit. We supported a negotiation to bring... That was J.D. Vance speaking about his opposition to the border security Ukraine aid proposal from the podium of the Senate media room. Jim Jordan has said some pretty aggressive things over the years, but I don't remember him cursing. This was just the latest uh, far-right stance and tone taken by J.D. Vance, the one-time venture capitalist and one-time self-described never-Trump guy. Earlier this week, on Sunday, on ABC's This Week, George Stephanopoulos asked Vance what he would have done on January 6th, 2021, when Trump and his supporters came up with a plan to use fake electors in key states to swing the election towards Trump. If I had been vice president, I would have told the states like Pennsylvania, Georgia, and so many others that we needed to have multiple slates of electors, and I think the U.S. Congress should have fought over it from there. That is the legitimate way to deal with an election that a lot of folks, including me, think had a lot of problems in 2020. I think that's what we should have done. So it's very clear you would have done what Donald Trump asked you to do there, not what Mike, President Mike Pence did. You said that that's about the past. But no, of course no, it's George, Donald George, Trump. It's, no, well, no, that's no, what George, you just said. It's not about what it's not about what it's George. It's not about what Donald Trump asks somebody to do. It's about what do we do when you have a problem like what happened in 2020? How do you respond to it? How does the political system respond to this? Again, there were some issues in the 2020 election, as there are with all elections. Rules were changed to cope with the pandemic. Every court case determined none of those issues or the changes altered the result of the election. Anyway, it has been quite the transformation over the past seven years for J.D. Vance. And here to talk about it is a man who has written about Ohio's junior U.S. senator, Tom Nichols of The Atlantic. His articles include... J.D. Vance in the Yahoo Caucus and the Moral Collapse of J.D. Vance. Tom Nichols, welcome to Snollygoster. Thank you. Nice to be with you. What do you make of J.D. Vance? Is he pulling the party farther to the right or is the party pulling him to the right? Well, the party doesn't really function like a party. It's now um, a support system for a cult of personality, and Senator Vance is smart enough to know that. And so he is, um, <clears throat> you know, he's drifting in the direction uh, that the wind is taking him. Um, it's important to remember this is a, a, a person who once referred to Donald Trump as cultural heroin, um, but ambition is a pretty powerful motivator and he wanted to be a senator and he had donors who had things that they wanted to get done in the senate 
And so he said, okay, I guess that's it. I guess I have to be a pro-Trump guy now. And he has taken to that role with gusto. And that's the result is what you see now, a very ambitious, intelligent young man who has turned himself into, um, you know, almost a parody of a MAGA senator after making clear that he wasn't that kind of person. Now, during the campaign two years ago, they were fighting for the for the nomination in the primary. They were all jockeying for Trump's endorsement. It came very late, but many people believe that's what pushed J.D. Vance uh, over the finish line and helped him win the primary. And then he, of course, beat Tim Ryan, the Democrat, in the in the November election. But I think some people thought that maybe he would tone down his, you know, pro-Trump rhetoric after he became a senator. But that that has not happened, right? Well, where's the fun in that? Um, <laughs> you know, um, where are the headlines in that? Um, he is, a again, you know, a remarkably ambitious fellow. Um, he's probably auditioning uh, for a spot on Trump's ticket or, or within a tr- future Trump cabinet. Um, I think one of the things that is the tragedy of J.D. Vance is that unlike a lot of other people, he knows better. And I think, um, you know, part of what he's doing now is securing his political future against the Ohio Republican base that could primary him out of his seat, um, you know, a few years down the line. Uh, But it's really kind of a disrespectful thing. I mean, it's really striking when you watch the the evolution of J.D. Vance, how much he really shows a deep disrespect for his own voters uh, by basically saying, I know you don't care about issues. I know you just want a clown show. Um, I know you just want, you know, the Fox News bites um, and whether we actually get anything done or govern or pass legislation about the border or anything like that is really secondary. I mean, he, in that sense, he's figured it out that as long as he keeps that slice, that 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 30 or 40% maybe of the primary electorate happy, he has a job forever. Um, he gets to live in Washington instead of having to come home. And, um, you know, that he can, his career will go on. Um, but that's, that's a really unfortunate turn. I mean, there were people who did this right from the beginning and people you expected it from um, on the right. But J.D. Vance made his bones initially um, by being, you know, something of a truth teller, by presenting himself as a truth teller and as an independent voice. And um, now he is, you know, the furthest thing from from any of that. Now, Ohio has voted for Trump twice by wide margins. Um, Vance embraced Trump and won by about the same margin. Does he not just reflect the constituents, his constituents here in Ohio, who are who who are frustrated by the loss of jobs, loss of manufacturing jobs, who see rising inflation, who see the the border stalemate? Does he not? Is he not just reflecting his constituents now, and is that not his role as a U.S. senator? It's that kind of uh, relationship with your. I worked for a, a Republican U.S. senator thirty years ago, and um, no, I would say that that is not the the right relationship because one of the things that the longer term in the Senate allows its its uh, occupants to do is to educate and inform and discuss issues with their. Um, with their constituents. You know, the House turns over every two years. That's the place where emotions run a little higher, where um, the people's voice is a little more direct. The Senate is supposed to be um, a a less um, heated place. And Vance just doesn't, Senator Vance just doesn't care about that. Um, I think it's also important to point out that some of the issues that you mentioned are 
are issues that have been created and pushed by Republicans. You know, inflation is not rising, for example. Just no matter how many times people say it, um, inflation has been dropping. Now, prices are staying where they were because that's the nature of prices. We had a spike in prices. There's nothing Donald Trump or Joe Biden or J.D. Vance ever going to be able to do about that. Gas prices are dropping. Other things are are moving uh, downward. But this notion that somehow America is in this kind of economic freefall um, is part of the narrative for a MAGA movement and senators like Vance, who actually serve very wealthy donors. <clears throat> and, you know, I mean, remember that, excuse me, that that one of um, one of the big super PAC backers or, or one of the big uh, do- contributors for um, Vance's early campaign was Peter Thiel out in California. Um, the other thing I would point out is that most of Trump's supporters across the country are actually not the poorest people. They are um, actually people who are middle class. And we saw this on January 6th. Most of the people arrested on January 6th were not unemployed farm workers or factory uh, workers. Um, They were, you know, realtors and chiropractors and ex-cops and former military. Um, So this, this notion that somehow you know, Vance is speaking on behalf of, um, you know, the dispossessed. That that's I think that's a, a populist argument that makes a lot of sense in Ohio, but it doesn't actually comport with what's going on in the Republican Party these days. You know, you you mentioned that the the party has changed; it's now basically beholden to Donald Trump. And could it be that you know this is for a, if you're looking at if Vance is looking at his party. And he looks at what happened, for instance, take Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma, who negotiated this uh, border security, this immigration bill. He's been hammered by his party, his state party. They, they stepped back a bit, but they were ready to, to really denounce him. Uh, he says a prominent TV host, conservative TV host, threatened to, quote, destroy him if he tried to pass the bill before the election. Is Vance just trying to sort of stay ahead of the mob or not be a victim of the mob? Well, there's an easier way to do that, which is to, um, you know, keep your head down and go to work and, and you know, do the work of a U.S. senator. And I can tell you, again, having been a personal aide to a senator, it's a pretty busy day. Um, but instead, Vance wants that publicity. He's out there throwing that red meat. And, and I think it tells you something, and it's a good point, you know, about Lankford. If James Lankford, right-wing Oklahoma former minister isn't right-wing enough for the Republican Party, then this really isn't, I'll go back to my earlier point, this isn't about policy. This is just about entertainment and about resentment and expressing anger. And again, I think Vance gets that. I think Vance gets that, you know, I mean, he's done, Vance has done, to his credit, he has done some things. He's worked on some bills in the Senate. The East Palestine um, rail that, safety bill that he yeah, had worked with. Yeah, I mean, Brown you know, that's a that's what senators ought to be doing, is they ought to be making sure that, you know, our rail infrastructure is safe. Um, but you don't, you don't get a whole lot of um, attention or approval for that in today's Republican Party. And so, you know, what you have to do, even when you've done something like that, is you have to come out, you have to do the performative um, you know, the performative silliness and, and um, Vance, you know, again, he gets that, but it's unfortunate because there was once a time where I think a lot of people hoped that he was going to be better than that. Do you think this is, I should note that in both of those clips that we played, the TV clips, uh, Jenny Vance is wearing a bright red tie. 
Is of course this, he is. Is this an audition to be vice president, do you think? Of course, of course it is. <laughs> um, you know, Vance is going to have to out uh, to kind of, you know, out MAGA uh, Elise Stefanik and Tim Scott and a lot of other people who, you know, want to be um, part of this crew of the Titanic. And, um, you know, again, it, it it raises the question, why did you even bother going to the Senate? Was this for the people of Ohio or was this part of, a, um, you know, just a, a journey of personal ambition? And I think, you know, look, the, you can't criticize politicians for being ambitious. That's how they get where they are. But at some point, ambition becomes everything. And at that point, you sell your political soul so that you find yourself saying things that you just couldn't have imagined, you know, 10 years earlier. I mean, if you had told people 10 years ago, uh, you know, when uh, or when they were reading Hillbilly Elegy um, or again, or again, going back to somebody like Stefanik, if you had looked at her when she was a Bush moderate Republican and said, you know, uh, in 2024, these people are going to be saying things that are absolutely, you know, off the wall bonkers. Um, you wouldn't have believed it. But, you know, ambition without principle um, is really one of the strongest forces in the universe and doesn't leave a whole lot of time for actually serving, you know, the people of New York or or Ohio. Can you know, we've watched Trump now since 2015. Um, can a candidate go too far in trying to impress him? I, I, I point to Josh Mandel, who was one of Vance's opponents in the primary that Vance eventually won for the U.S. Senate. You know, he's that famous exchange where he stood up to to another candidate, uh, Mike Gibbons, at a forum and basically threatened to fight him. Uh, and for re- reporting was that that turned that went too far. It was a step too far to show how tough he was, and and it turned Trump off. Can a candidate go too far in trying to impress the former president? Well, there have been examples of this across the country in winnable Republican districts where the the um, uh, the nominee or the candidate has been just kind of a kook, um, kind of nutty. I mean, you know, look at Arizona. I mean, Carrie Lake should have been a, you know, a heavy favorite, um, you know, well-known local broadcaster, um, you know, and that uh, – in Michigan as well, and I can't think of the fellow's name, but uh, but in Michigan there was a guy who you know um, went the full uh, went the full MAGA route. Well, here in and, here in Ohio, Marcy Captor's seat was really pretty vulnerable. In the I, I forget the candidate's name, he's running again, I believe. He well, uh, there you go. He he uh, he burned. <laughs> You've already uh, forgotten his name. <laughs> he burned Trump's uh, name into his front lawn, and that was he won right. the primary. as through the three way primary, and he won it. And then Marcy Captor held on to her seat, much to uh, the disappointment of Republicans who thought they could flip that one. Well, the problem is that polarization, particularly on the right, has become so complete that in order to win a Republican primary, you have to run, you know, not to the right of the party, but to the right of the solar system at this point. And of course, that may be useful inside Republican politics or if you're auditioning for vice president. But um, first, it's a terrible way. It's it. It inflicts a terrible price on government and in the United States and in the basically in the dignity and the processes of, um, you know, legislating in a country like the United States. But also it leaves you vulnerable because in a general election, you know, the electorate just isn't that nutty. And so, you know, you it's an old saw, right? I mean, yeah. Richard Nixon's rule, run to the right and then run to the center. 
But at some point you've run so far to the right that the center just becomes this like distant dim star somewhere out in the cold of space that you can't get back to. And that's where you lose and, the independence. And people and, do lose. Yeah. You lose the independence in the suburbs. Uh, women are, are turned off. You know, I always joke that, you know, I wish this Trump era in American politics was a Netflix series so I could binge watch and see how it all ends. Um, and this will end at some point. And, you know, you know, I, 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 I think in the end, people will see this era is not a, a flattering one at the very least for, for the American political system. Could this eventually really cost candidates, politicians like J.D. Vance, these statements come back to haunt him, not right away, but five, six years from now? They could. My window for worrying about what happens ha is now at about, you know, 11 months. Uh -huh. um, if if we still have a functioning democracy five years from now, then, uh, yeah, I actually think that at some point, as you point out, you know, the, this ends, that this that Trump is gone, um, even if he serves on another term, assuming that he doesn't completely wreck the Constitution and turn us into a an autocracy. Um, I suspect that, yeah, there will be some sort of correction down the line because this is, it's not just crazy rhetoric. It's an unsustainable record. I mean, the, I think the failure of the border bill is really a, the, a canary in the coal mine here. This is something that, this is a democratic scalp that uh, Republicans could have brought home with them. And they just didn't, um, you know, Joe Biden was going to sign um, a bill that was going to infuriate a lot of the people on the left of the Democratic Party. Um, he, they, the you know, as my colleague David Frum said, this was a border hawk's dream um, with frosting and sprinkles on it. Yeah, there was no path to citizenship at all. No help for the dreamers in this bill. It was just yeah, security. nothing. And yeah. you know, this is well. Let's put it this way: it was a bill that was endorsed by the border guards union. Um, you know, and they're they're not exactly um, you know squishy uh, pro pro democratic party bunch i mean this is um when the when the the border patrol union um is telling you they think this is a good idea it's probably a good idea but they just can't bring themselves to do it and so you know at some point you do have to come home and say here's what i did you know while i was gone to washington and again i think this comes back to why people like vance go on television and say all of this you know inane stuff as kind of a smokescreen for the fact that they're just enjoying living in Washington and not getting very much done. Tom Nichols, a staff writer for The Atlantic. Thanks very much for your perspective. We appreciate you coming on Snollygoster. Thank you. We'll be right back. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Time now for our Snollygoster of the Week segment, where we honor the shrewdest politician or political move of the week. This week, it goes to the voters of Nevada, in particular, the voters in the Republican primary. Now, the primary meant nothing. The state's Republican presidential delegates will be handed out at this week's caucus. But there was a presidential primary on the ballot. 
there was another catch. Because it meant nothing, Donald Trump's name was not on the ballot. So it was Nikki Haley was the only active candidate on there. There were some lesser known candidates. And there was the option, none of these candidates. And none of these candidates won in a landslide. 63% to Nikki Haley's 31%. So for putting a none-of-the-above option on the multiple-choice ballot, the state of Nevada and its voters get our Snollygoster of the Week award. How many of us would would love a none-of-the-above option when we go to the polls? In case you're wondering, Joe Biden easily beat none-of-the-above on the Democratic side, 89% to 6%. So there you go. That'll do it for this week's edition of Snollygoster, which is part of the NPR Network. As always, please be sure to leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And just tell your friends about us. For our student producer, Katie Genius, our digital producer, Michael DeBonis, and our audio engineer, Dalton Jones, I'm Mike Thompson for Snollygoster from WOSU Public Media. (laughs) 